Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. Daniel chapter 3. And we're really going to go through the whole thing. So hear the word of the Lord here in Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So all those people, I'm not going to read them all again, um, they assembled for this dedication that the image of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. And then, the, and then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, I don't know what that is, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship the image will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of all those things, all the nations and the peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And at this time, some astrologers came forward to denounce the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of all these things should fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you've, whom you've set up over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you set up. Furious with rage, King Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up. Now, when you hear all these different things, if you are ready, fall down and worship the image I made. Very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with... He really needs to learn how to write pronouns here. He was furious with them, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The, king command, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, 
Weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out and come here. And so they came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them, and they saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut up into pieces and the houses and their houses turn into a pile of rubble for no other god can save in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning as a God who can save in the midst of impossible circumstances. We pray that you would um, speak to us this morning as we seek to worship you. God, would you move in our midst, we pray. Amen. So it starts out, this idea of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but their story did not necessarily start in chapter 3, right? Do you remember what happens in chapter 1? They defied the king then as well. Do you remember what happened? It had to do with the diet, right? So Daniel and his three buddies, who were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and some others, they were set apart by the king. And the king said, I'm going to you know, set you guys apart. I'm going to train you in our ways. Because I see that you're the best and brightest of the Jews that have brought over. And we're going to kind of help raise you up into this uh, way. And so you get to eat all the best food. You get to eat, you know, you get all the best education. You get everything. Well, they had some dietary restrictions that God had kind of given them. If you remember back to Leviticus, there was a lot of things they could and couldn't eat times they could and couldn't eat and, and all these kind of wrap themselves up in their, in their story and so they stood up to power and they spoke truth to power and actually what ends up happening is the powerful said okay we'll let you not eat but we're going to pay close attention and so they measured them tested them whatever however it was they inspected and found out that them using their own diet that God had instructed uh, them to do, and they didn't want to go against that in their worship of God, uh, actually helped their bodies actually be better than those of the men who did eat all of the food of the Babylonians. And so they have this first kind of time where they were tested and they had to stand up to power. And God uh, showed himself faithful through that. So now they have a second time. And it says that King Nebuchadnezzar set up this great golden statue. And it gives us the size by cubits. And so I looked that up because I was curious because I don't know my cubit measurements. Uh, and so this golden statue would have been 90 feet high and about 9 feet wide. So real tall, real skinny. 
set up and he says, listen, um, when you hear all this music, when you hear all these things creating this music, you immediately fall down and worship this statue. King Nebuchadnezzar wanted the people to worship something he had made, something he had done. Look at how great I am. And when you hear it, fall down. And he set it up like a typical worship service, right? There was music in there. There was going to be a bowing down to an acknowledgement of something that had been created. And he wanted them to worship something that he had made. The truth is that King Nebuchadnezzar wants to be worshipped. The image may not have been of him, although it's easy to read that into the story. But he had constructed it. He had the idea. He wanted to set up, worship this. Which is really kind of interesting because if, if you read Daniel from the very beginning, you remember what happens in Daniel 2? It's another pretty famous story. It actually focuses more on Daniel and what God is doing through Daniel. The king has a, has a dream that's really kind of got him a little worried. And nobody can interpret this thing. And Daniel can. And the dream actually, what the dream and the interpretation of the dream actually comes true. And Nebuchadnezzar actually, at the end of chapter 2, um, I'm trying to find it real quick. The king said to Daniel in verse uh, 47, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. The king has his proclamation. This is who God is. And it almost sounds like a conversion, right? That moment in chapter 2 was a conviction that the king had, but it wasn't quite a conversion. Power saw other power, and he bore witness to that power and now he's trying to gain power to prove the dream isn't true. Because here he is in chapter 3, like God said, here's the deal, Nebuchadnezzar, and this is what's true, and I'm going to prove myself to be God. And he did, and Nebuchadnezzar, a powerful one, acknowledged, man, that's a lot of power. The very first thing he does in chapter 3 is say, I'm going to try to gain some more for myself, so worship me. I'm going to show this, God, that I am something to be reckoned with. He wants people to bow down and give him the attention he craves. And so what you what you may be asking yourself is how in the world does this golden skinny this tall golden statue being bowed down and worship have anything at all to do with us? Because I don't know outside of some smaller kind of things that I've ever seen like really an idol I've had some Hindu friends, and I've seen their pictures of the gods that'll hang on the wall. I've seen a couple of statues. Sometimes you see the little Buddha statue around. I've never really seen anybody who worshipped that. It was just more, I mean, I'm not saying there aren't people who, do, who don't do that or who do do that, but I'm just saying I haven't seen it. I've always seen it like as a yard decoration or a doorstop or something of that nature. And so I haven't ever seen that. So how in the world does it apply? Tim Keller wrote in this book called Counterfeit Gods. He said this, Our contemporary society is not fundamentally different from these ancient ones. Each culture is dominated by its own set of idols. 
Each has its priesthoods, its podiums, its rituals. Each one has its shrines, whether office towers, spas, and gyms, studios, or stadiums, where sacrifices must be made to procure the blessing of the good life and ward off disaster. What are the gods of beauty, power, money, and achievement but these same things that have assumed mythic proportions in our individual lives and in our society? We may not physically kneel before the statue of Aphrodite, but many young women today are driven into depression and eating disorders by an obsessive concern over their body image. We may not actually burn incense to Artemis, but when money and career are raised to cosmic proportions, we perform a kind of child sacrifice, neglecting family and community to achieve a higher place in business and gain more wealth and prestige. It's true it's not the exact same thing, but fundamentally, it's not, it's not fundamentally different. Because there is a fundamental element to human life that is true for every single one of us, that we are wired to give our time, our energy, honor, sacrifice to things that we perceive will give that we think the good life, right? We sacrifice things that we think will provide for us everything that we desire, the peace and satisfaction that we've always longed for. And so we buy into it. Success is going to do that. And so we sacrifice everything we can to be successful. The right body image is going to do that. Obviously, that's not one that I have bought into yet. But, you know, who knows? Uh, we believe that the right status or the right car, I mean, that's where commercials are made around. If you have this watch or this thing, you'll have this status that will make your life in this way. And so we sacrifice and we give to, to have those things. Our instinct to worship never goes away. We were wired to worship. We are naturally drawn to worship things. And so the question is not whether we will worship, and you've heard this before, the question is what we will worship. Because we were created to worship. What we were created to worship was the Creator. And when we don't worship that and we let other things become that for us, then things spin out of control. So we have a choice. Are we going to create worship the Creator or the empty things that were created that were created uh, for us to worship. And oftentimes, for our people in power who have something to gain for our sacrifice to that thing. And that's true for us. And we're going to flesh that out a little bit. Verse 16 and 17, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now, I've never spoken to a king in my whole life. I mean, a human king. That's not the way you talk to a king from what I've understood from TV. In fact, you can read a little bit earlier, if you remember, when the, when the astrologers came to him because they want to get the Jews in trouble, what did they do? They really greased the skids for that king. It's like, oh, you're so great and you're so awesome and you you deserve all this praise and you deserve all this worship. And here's these dirt bags who aren't doing it. So he goes to those dirt bags and what do they say? We don't need to defend ourselves for you. Are you kidding me? 
And then they make this statement in verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, then the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They say two distinct things following the initial statement of we're not going to worship what you told us to worship. What they've said is our God is able to save from anything you can do. And even if he doesn't, we will not worship you. And a lot of times, and when I was a kid, and I'm just going to be honest, a majority of my adult life, I thought, man, what strong faith they have, right? To be able to look death in the face, look this king in the face and say, man, i got to have strong faith. And you may be thinking that same thing. I don't think that's a really helpful way to look at faith. Because when we look at faith as something that's strong, we compare the challenge that we're looking at, so whatever it may be, with our ability. And then we can kind of compare, do I have enough faith to make this thing happen? And the other danger is, if we feel that we do and we engage in that, and then it doesn't happen, then our faith wasn't strong, so there was some defect in us. And we look at a strong faith versus what I think is more helpful is to look at it, if we take faith and look at it as it's a lens through which we see the world. Because if we're having this muscle faith, this kind of strength of faith, then very easily, if God doesn't show up, and that's a good place to be, if God doesn't show up, we're going to fail. But then when He doesn't, and it has to do with the strength of our faith, then... Where do we go with that? I think that's always been problematic. Uh, for me, it has been. That was one of the biggest, one of my biggest hiccups with Christianity when I was a kid growing up in a church that told me if you just have enough faith, you can get whatever it would be healing from cancer, blessing in your bank account, you know, uh, answers to prayers, whatever they may be. If you just have enough faith, you can speak it, you can claim it, you can have it. And then if you didn't, answer from the church, and this is not this is no joke. Hopefully you've never experienced this, but you very well may have the answer from the church is where you just didn't have enough faith to believe. Which is a pretty convenient cop out, right? That's pretty easy. Um, it always kind of made me want to punch them in the face and tell them they didn't have enough faith to have God stop me do that. I never did it because God was more gracious than I was. So anyway, but that's the danger. But when we have faith that we if we have this lens faith, it's this thing through which we can see the world, it changes a little bit. We can clearly see the challenge based on the power of our God. There's, this, there's a kid's movie that you've probably seen at some point in your life, and it's called The Beauty and the Beast. But there's this young girl named Belle. She befriends this big hairy beast, and there's a scene where she's with these wolves, and she's not backing down. And she's not not backing down because she knows that she can take out these wolves on her own. What does she know? The beast is behind her. The beast is going to come out and get them, and he does. It's really similar when, when faith is not the strength and the power that lies within us, but are rightly seeing the lens through which we can see the world. Then when we look at this diagnosis, when we look at our bank account, when we look at this job, when we look at whatever it is, 
that's requiring our faith. When we look at having to tell power no, regardless of what you're going to do to me, and we rightly see it for what it is, that yeah, you could throw me in jail, you could throw me in the furnace, you can take my life from me, you can ruin it, you can make it miserable, but whatever you can do is nothing compared to the God that I serve, then you're not scared anymore. And it has nothing to do with the strength that resides inside of us. Because when we can rightly see that, the lens through which, when faith becomes a lens through which we can see the world, then none of that makes us fearful. None of that scares us. Not because we are so good and we know we're going to be able to overcome this, but we know, like Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, God can save us. But even if he doesn't, that's okay. He had some kind of reason. So it turns from me and my faith to God and his strength. And then you can see power for what it really is. It's a situation where the emperor has no clothes on, right? He's sitting there trying to be the person. Power's coming in and telling us, hey, this is what you got to do. But when you can see, like, I don't have to. I can vote based off of my conviction on what's true to the gospel. And I don't have to buy the lie that you're selling me. I can react in business based off of what I know to be true about God and not the lie that if I don't conform in this way, I'm going to go out of business. You know, we can look at the lie that says, if you just sleep with this person, if you just have this affair, if you just skim the edges in this way, your life's going to be better. And you can look at that and see that it is not true. That is, God is bigger than that. So we can see Nebuchadnezzar for who he is. The flames are hot and he is very powerful. But it's nothing compared to God. And our temptation is to do that. Sex, money, power, status. If I just had it, my life would be what I wanted. What I hoped it would be. It would give me what I wanted. But compared to what God provides, those things, the power just goes away from them. And when we see faith as a muscle that we have to work to overcome this temptation, uh, then it kind of falls on how good we are. But we can see it as a lens through which we see the world. And we can see it as the lie for what it really is. And here's what Peshavar, Meshach, and Abednego say, which I think is really helpful for us. It's there in verse 18. They said, this is true, and we know our God can save, but even if he doesn't, either way, uh, we're not doing it, whether God chooses to save or not. Uh, the beauty of that is within with this lens faith versus a strength faith, and the strength faith that God doesn't show up, we're toast. But in this faith, this lens faith, it would be more of like, I mean, in that muscle faith, it'd be more like a Sunday school kind of story of what not to do. If they had just been alone, we could have said, well, you've got to have more faith, kids. But when they have this lens faith, they can clearly see it. Uh, Tim Keller, the same guy that we quoted earlier, he's often quoted. I don't know if it's in any of his books, but I've heard him say it a number of times. I've heard other people say versions of it before. Um, if you believe in a guy that's big enough to create all the problems in the world, then you believe in a God who's big enough to have a reason 
for not answering your prayer. And so they say to the power, we know that God can save us. But even if he doesn't, God is more powerful than you. And we believe he has these reasons. There's a guy uh, by the name of Chris Wright. And he wrote this book of prayers based off of this section of scripture. And my hope is that we would be able to pray these prayers and trust these prayers. I'm just going to read a few of them for you. He said, Lord, I believe that you're able to protect me and my family from all danger, illness, accident, or death, and I pray that you will. But even if not, I will not bow down and serve the gods of fear, injustice, and resentment. Lord, I believe you're able to preserve my reputation and my job if I take a stand for what I believe is right and just, following my conscience and not just orders. And I pray that you will. But even if not, even if I lose all that, I will not bow down and serve the God of cowardice and go the way of the world. Lord, I believe that you're able to open the door to that job, that ministry, that opportunity that seems so right to me. And I pray that you will. But even if not, even if I seem to be walking in the dark, I will not bow down and serve the God of despair and anxiety. I hope we can pray those prayers believing that God can, but even if he doesn't, he has his reasons why. But then we have to ask ourselves, is it worth it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to do a very courageous, faith-filled thing. But is it worth it? Because we can very easily rationalize it, especially based on that death. I mean, think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They could very easily rationalize, well, if we do this, we're going to die. But if we don't, think of all power in the nation that they've given us and all the influence that will give us. And so actually us staying alive is going to help further God's kingdom more because we have all this influence and that's not going to be worth anything if we're dead, right? They're going to very easily rationalize that, that out. Like, God, if I don't do this and I don't go to this consequence, I can witness to more people. I can share your, your word with more people. I can do more things. It's better for my family if I were around it. And we can rationalize all the reasons why this would have been better for us not to bow down in this moment for the greater good. But the truth is, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realizes God didn't need their influence. God didn't need their witness. The truth is, if they had what kind of witness would they have been? It would have been like saying, I believe that God is so good that he's worth giving my life up for him all the way up until the moment in which he asked me to give my life up for him. There was a guy who I've quoted here a number of times named, named Richard Wormbrin. He was a Romanian pastor who spent 14 years in a uh, um, prison uh, because of his faith in the USSR and some of the stuff that he said and wrote, he said this, there are two kinds of Christians. Those who sincerely believe in God and those who just as sincerely believe that they believe. You can tell them apart by their actions in decisive moments. We have nothing to say to power once we have bowed down 
to any power other than God. So if we bow down to the fear that we have to shift the way that we worship, the way that we engage our community, the way that we do whatever it is that we do, that we feel like God's called us to, but you know, if we do this, maybe the offerings increase, maybe the numbers increase. We're shifting a little bit of what we our conviction. We have nothing to offer. For a believer in the marketplace, we say, hey, if I just do this, I'll have a little bit more influence. Maybe it's not what God's called me to do, but if I do it, more people will know my name and I'll have a little more influence I can do it. You've lost your voice. And the people, we can very easily rationalize our way out of even being a good witness for who God is because we can very easily come up with all the reasons why it's better if we don't do it this way. And that's not what Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego kind of modeled for us. They said, we believe that God can do this for us. We believe that if we are obedient to God, he's going to save us. We believe if we're obedient to God, he's going to be faithful. He's not going to let us go bankrupt. He's not going to let us die. He's not going to let us wither away. He's not going to let us lose influence or whatever it is that we can say. But even if he doesn't, he has his reasons why. But they had to work at it just like we have to work at it. It doesn't just come overnight. We don't just wake up one day with this great temptation, and next thing you know, uh, we've just overcome it. You know, We talk about it being lens versus muscle faith, and this isn't a retraction on that. But what we do know is that God gives us opportunities every day. And we actually talked about this as a word this morning, that God gives us opportunities every day to be obedient to Him. And the more that we're obedient to what God's called us to do, the easier it is to say no or to stand up the power when that time comes. The easier it is for us to be able to see the world through those lenses. Oftentimes, God doesn't throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right into the fire and trust that they see that fire through the lens of the faith of who God is. They had a test earlier in Daniel 1. Are you going to bow down and eat the meat and the food that they're giving you guys because it's going to make you stronger, better, and whatever? Are you going to trust what I told you? We said, we're going to trust what you told us. And God showed himself as faithful. We can more rightly see the world through that lens when we've had that experience with God. And God gives us opportunities every single day. This morning, uh, we've been going through the, uh, I wanted to say guidepost, but it's not that. It's our daily bread. Uh, and the, the thing this morning was talking about the sin that so easily ensnares us. And there, there are bigger sin. I mean, we all know about And the kingdom of God, everything that separates us from God is a sin and it's it equally separates us from God. But there are things that we can say, like it, a drug addict doesn't go from zero to you know a heroin addict overnight. There were opportunities to say no that weren't embraced. You know, a, a mass murder doesn't turn into that overnight, usually. You know, adultery doesn't just happen. All of a sudden, you're happily married, and everything's moving along, and then all of a sudden, boom, I just had, I have no clue where that came from. We have little opportunities every day to trust that what God tells us is true. And this is especially important when we're looking at being a witness to the world in a place of exile. When we're talking about worshiping God in exile, we oftentimes have to stand up to power because the, the systems that are in place in a, series, in, a, in, a, in a place of exile are not what God has called us to. And so every day we have opportunities to stand up to that power in big and small ways. And the more opportunities that we say yes to God and no to power, 
quicker it is for us to see more clearly the life through that lens of faith. But when we believe, hey, you have to vote this way to be Christian. You have to do these things to be a believer, to follow in with us. That's not following. There is no, uh, there's a guy, uh, I've heard this quote a number of times over the last probably 10, 12 years. Uh, uh, the kingdom of God, we do not follow an elephant or a donkey. We follow a lamb. But there are systems in power on both sides of the political aisle that tells us if you don't do this or if you do this, it's wrong. You have to do this to be a believer. And God's saying, none of that is true, actually. You have to follow me and follow my conviction and be true to me and trust that I'm bigger than all of that. We're actually going to move in the, in the, in the um, after uh, Advent, we're going to move into a series. We're actually just going to walk through Daniel. What does life look like? What does worship look like? What does standing up with power look like? in this place of exile. We're going to walk through the book of Daniel. Uh, Willie told, told me uh, a while back I didn't do enough in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm just going to be honest with you, though. I'm not going to get super deep into the uh, apocalyptic kind of aspects of Daniel. Um, that's a little above my prayer. It's a little weird, okay? If you've ever read all of Daniel and you get past the Sunday school versions that go through basically about chapter 6 or 7, it gets really kooky, Okay? a lot of apocalyptic literature. There's lots of different meanings. And so we'll, we'll dabble in it, but we're not going to just sit there and do a revelation in Daniel 7 through 12 study, okay? Um, all God's people said amen to that. Um, but we are going to see what does it look like for us to not move into these circles that say, if you, you have to do this because these are the only options you have. You only have two options. You don't have a third option, so you got to choose one. And here's the right way of choosing God's saying, no, you, you only have really one option. That's to follow me because anything else you do is completely opposite of me. And the interesting thing is, if you read the rest of Daniel 3, and we did, what happens? They stand up to power, power threw them into the fire, and God rescued them. It's a, it's a great story. But it's a pattern we see through all of Scripture. Daniel 18 through 30 is a power, a pattern that we see all through Scripture is that when the people of God stood up to power and said, we're going to follow God instead of you, even if that means something negative for us, God can save, God will save, and God does save. We see that throughout Scripture. We can start back with, with um, Noah. We can go through the story of Joseph, right? We can go through the story of Moses. Moses stood up to the most powerful person in the known world at that time. And God showed that his power was even bigger. It follows all through Scripture, even through the story of Jesus, who stood up to power and looked like power won, right? It looked just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fire, like power had won. But what did God do, right? God said, nope, we're going to change this death into life, and it's going to be life for all people forever. And so what powerful thought they were doing to accomplish their will, to promote themselves, to erect their statue, to have people bow down and say, man, that was so great of you. God flipped it. He said, actually, I'm more powerful than all that, and we're going to take this and make it something even better. It's the subversive nature of the gospel 
that actually allows us, that gives us the opportunity to see life through that lens of faith and say, I'm more interested in following God because of what God will and does provide than I am buying into your lies. The emperor has no clothes on, and yet he's trying to tell you he does. And God's saying, nope, we're following something completely different, and it's going to be better than anything that you've ever experienced if you can just see life in that lens of trust that that is true. And so we get the opportunity to do that. We get to come to a table this morning that tells that story, that the powerful thought they had created death, and we're going to be able to move on, and God created life from it. And it's life that we get to drink in every single day. That when we blow it, when we get ensnared in that sin, when we believe the lie, because God actually flipped the power on top of its head, we can come to Jesus and receive the forgiveness and receive the eternal blessing that God has for us, even when we've messed up, because God was able to do that. It's this beautiful story of God coming, not bowing down to the powerful, taking on um, whatever consequence they do, and showing that he can save through that. So we get to come every Sunday morning and remember that. And so as you come to the table, let's do that this morning. As you come to the table with opportunities in your life every day to bow down to what society says, this is what's powerful and this is what you have to worship. Let's remember that God showed us that we don't actually. And we can trust in him and that he is good. Let's pray. God, we're thankful that we get to come to the creator of all things who speaks truth to us. And God, we know that we have tons of opportunities every day to buy into a lie. Lies that are being sold to us through TV commercials. Lies that are being sold to us through movies and media. Lies that are being sold to us through political forces. there is something more than you that will fulfill our life. And my prayer is that we could rightly see the world through the lens of who you are. And that we wouldn't buy into that lie. Not that we can't buy things or enjoy stuff, but just not buy into the lie that that's going to bring us satisfaction. Because you are the only one who does. God, when it's necessary to stand up to power, may we see power through the lens of who you are, trusting that you are going to be faithful to what you've called us to do. And even if you don't, that you have a reason. Our ways are not your ways. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. And God, you have a plan that we don't always understand. And would you help us to trust you through all of that? God, these are our prayers. God, would you let your Holy Spirit move through our midst this morning?
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.